There we go. At this time during the service, uh, we're going to hear from God's true word. One of the things we say as Christians is that the Bible is true. But the Bible is not the, not the only thing that's true about the Bible is that it's true. There are a lot of things in this world that are true, but that are difficult, that are ugly, that we don't, uh, we're not interested in. For example, war and violence are true and real. But God's word is not only true, not only a true story, it's the best story that there is. That's what we say as Christians. Not only is this a true story, but it's the best story that there is. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about technology. We're going to open up God's word to Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to try and convince you that God's story and God's way is a better way. Not just the true story, but that the rest that God has is a better rest. And the way forward that God has for us is a better way than the other ways that are offered in our world. So we're continuing this sermon series on rest for three more weeks. And uh, in these last three weeks, we're looking at very specific and particular areas of our lives. And so this morning, we're looking at technology. And we're going to perhaps begin in a place you might not expect, the book of Numbers. Who of you, this is easy because I know you don't all love putting up your hands, right? Um, Who of you expected that a sermon on technology would begin with the book of Numbers? Yeah. See, now if you're uncomfortable putting up your hand, you don't have to put up your hand. And if you weren't expecting it, you don't have to put up your hand. See how easy I make things for you some weeks? So the Israelites have left Egypt. Moses has sent out these 12 spies to go into the promised land and to search it out, to scout out and see uh, what is ahead of them. And then the the spies or the scouts come back. And this is where our uh, story picks up this morning. The scouts, they come back to Moses and Aaron and to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land into which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. They laid it out before them. But the people who live there are powerful Their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, "The the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size are of great size. We saw the Nephilim, giants there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So far, the reading of God's word. So this story that we have this morning in the Bible begins with God's people leaving Egypt and exploring a new land, a new people, and finding themselves overwhelmed with the information that confronts them. Overwhelmed with 
a people group that is far bigger, far stronger, more fortified cities, more advanced than they are. As we get into the sermon this morning about technology, I want to start with some technology. It's a short video uh, that I hope and I think sets the stage pretty well. It's a video of Fred Rogers, who some of you may know was Mr. Rogers. He ran a children's TV show for over 30 years. And he's talking about a book he just published. So it's about a 30-second video. Let's watch it together. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. How do we do that? I mean, in our business, yours and mine, how do we encourage reflection? I trust that this book will do some of that, but oh my, this is a noisy world. There's Mr. Rogers a few years ago saying that we are more interested in information than in wonder, in noise rather than in silence. And I'll put that together with the story of numbers because I want to suggest to you that our interest in information rather than in wonder and in noise rather than silence, I want to suggest that that's nothing new. That in fact, it's a repetitive result of an ancient problem. And the ancient problem is that we are too focused on ourselves, on our own power, our own sphere of influence, our own abilities or inabilities. We become enamored with focused on making a name for ourselves. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel, even before this one. This is a problem of the Israelites as they enter the promised land, or as they actually don't enter the promised land. They get scared and they turn around. They're focused on the information at hand, on doing the math, as it were, and seeing how they stack up, how they measure up. And they don't pause to reflect on the, on the wonder of the God who has led them this far. In the context of technology, it's the simple fact of history that Israel, Israel and the Israelites at this time were a pretty small and impoverished nation in the grand scheme of the ancient world. We might think that the Israelites were, uh, or that the ancient world sort of revolved around the Israelites because the Old Testament is about the Israelites. But archaeology and history tells us that uh, the Israelites were historically, in the grand scheme of history, Apart from God's story, the Israelites were of little consequence. They were much smaller than the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and even the Romans. All of these nations had empires that lasted hundreds, even thousands of years. They had militaries that were greater and more powerful, more advanced than certainly the Israelites and many other nations around them. Just take one group of people, for example. In this story, the Israelites have just uh, escaped from Egypt. And the Egyptians, we know from history and archaeology, were well established in the Iron Age. They had metal wheels, chariots. They had metal-tipped weapons. The Israelites were still living in the Stone Age, literally. The Israelites in this story, too, can clearly see that they were technologically behind the other nations around them. 
They say, well, these cities are fortified. There's no way we can get in. What's more, we can't attack these people. The spies say they are stronger than we are. They're not saying physically stronger. They're saying they're, they're, they, have strong, they have more power. They have more abilities. And here's the problem. Whenever we try to make a name for ourselves, we sometimes succeed and sometimes we don't. But we always end up drawing lines, don't we? We're forever trying new ways to create honor, to make a name for ourselves. And with our new creations, our new technologies, and our new measures come new groups. These new groups come with more promises and possibilities, but also with more and different people who are excluded. Let's think about technology specifically for a moment here. The end of every technology and every technological advance is the same. It's to advantage some people, and also by consequence, or often not by intent, but sometimes by intent, to disadvantage others. Do you have a new phone? If so, you're in. Do you have one of the old phones? Well, then you're behind. Are you able to receive that new experimental treatment? What a blessing. But if you can't, what a curse. What does this mean for our use of technology? And what does it mean for the good news of Jesus Christ? It certainly doesn't mean that technology is bad and evil and that we should ignore it. The truth is more complex than that. And because we're talking tech today, I again want to show you another little short video. This is a two-minute clip and a shortened version of a larger video which uses honor and shame terminology to show what our human technology and creations gain for us and also what only Jesus Christ can win for us. So it starts from the perspective of sin and brokenness and shame and reminds us that often we are on the outs. Let's watch that together. Do you know what it means that we are descendants of Adam and Eve? Imagine if your mom was the village prostitute or your dad defected during battle. You'd get their shame. We inherit shame, then our sin brings on more shame. So one day someone had an idea. Let's make our own honor. They created multiple groups or cultures. One said you had to wear black suits and drive Mercedes, but the other determined you have to wear orange robes and be a monk. If you maintain the group's expectations, you got some honor and status. But this honor was temporary because it was made by humans. These group rules actually increased shame by excluding some people. Even when God selected one group to bless the other groups with honor, they boasted in their election and shunned others. When people tried to create honor for themselves, they only produced more shame. The only person who could help the honorless was God, the source and essence of honor. So God became human and entered the shameful village. Could you ever imagine a big politician with a mansion going to live in a trash dump? That was Jesus. Jesus was amazing. One time a bleeding woman snuck up and touched him, and he wasn't defiled or shamed. She was purified and dignified by Jesus. He loved and accepted everyone regardless of their shame. Jesus spoke of a great feast where the disgraced and dismissed were honored guests. Following Jesus, not the cultural rules, makes people acceptable and worthy. But the people living for earthly honor were threatened by this. 
So Jesus was arrested, mocked, whipped, spat on, and nailed upon a cross. He was covered in shame publicly. Why? Why would one perfectly honorable person be so shamed? The shame Jesus bore was not his own. He bore our shame. And then Jesus fully defeated that shame. He rose from death to glory. Jesus crossed back to God's village and got a great name and place of honor. Jesus' resurrection from the dead built a new bridge from death to life, from earth to heaven, from shame to honor. Finally, people could get what they always wanted, true and eternal honor from God. As I said, I want to convince you or try to convince you this morning that the Bible is not just the true story, but that it's a better story. See, technology is just another thing in our world that promises honor. Technology pro- always promises, whatever it is, that the present and the future will be better, will be easier, and will be safer. And that's worth wondering. Does technology deliver on its promise? Does it deliver presently? Does it deliver uh, in, in the long term? With any group, with any technology that you pick, whether it's something as, as simple as a phone or something as more, more complex and more important, arguably, as medical technology, any group or any, any promise says that you'll have the good life when you join. It's also the promise held out by the promised land in the Old Testament. The promised land promises to be a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the present and the future will be better easier, and safer. Technology is another human attempt to make a name for ourselves. That doesn't mean that our phones or our medical technologies are bad or evil, certainly. It just means that we need to be careful and thoughtful not to put our hope, all our hope, in our tech. The good things that we pour our hope into become idols, They become the things that we worship. And if we're not worshiping God, our idols can separate us from God, who as Christians we believe is the ultimate source of life and of wonder in the world. Put another way, technology reinforces the worldview that some of us have of a limited good. Technology is good, make no mistake, but there's only so much, there's only ever so much to go around. There's never enough technology, in other words, and technology always divides people into ever finer groups, the haves and the have-nots. And all of us grow weaker for our loss of one another, not because we all need the technology, but because we all become more and more separated from one another by our technology. The reason this passage in, in uh, Numbers, excuse me, is important and relevant to our conversation about technology is that the Israelites enter Canaan from the perspective not of those who have technology, but they enter Canaan from the perspective of those who do not have technology. When we engage with technology, some of us know the shame of living on the outside. We know what it's like not to have the newest and the best 
We grieve the loss of family members who didn't get into the right programs that could have even saved their life. We miss out on the newest, the brightest, the greatest, and where you get used to hand-me-downs or just living a little bit behind the curve. Within the family of God, there are others too. Others who, like the video said, sometimes are, are offended by the, by the claims of the gospel that our technology separates us from others. Others of us are very much beneficiaries of technology. We always make sure to get the newest and the best. We're connected. We feel powerful. We enjoy the perks and the privileges of being treated well in our circles. Here's the thing. If you gauge your worth, your honor, your value as a person in relation to technology, you'll always be let down. Either you'll be let down immediately because you're on the outs, or you'll be let down eventually because you'll be just needing to do the next thing and the next and the next. As Jason Georges, the guy who created the video, as he says, the human honor, human status is always temporary. There's a challenge here for those of us who have made, tech, have made a name for ourselves and have created honor for ourselves because of technology. The challenge is, first of all, to enjoy it. We can enjoy technology as a good and wonderful part of God's creation. But we need to remember two things this morning. First, that the goodness and honor of technology is temporary. So, where will you look for goodness and honor that last? Will you continue to look to the next technology and the next and the next? Or maybe you're tired of always needing another thing and always costing more for the next. The second thing we need to remember, those of us on the inside of the tech revolution, is that the goodness and honor that technology creates is always exclusionary. The goodness and honor technology creates is always temporary, and second, it's always exclusionary. There's always somebody who's missing out. So how can we use technology, not just as people, but as Christians? How can we use technology to offer something even better to everyone? Personally, I don't buy the argument that more technology for more people is going to make the whole world a better place. At a certain point, there just won't be enough to go around. That doesn't make technology bad. But as Christians, we don't have, the, the first thing that we have to offer is not progress. The first thing we have to offer is comfort. Comfort in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there's comfort for those who have missed out on a name for ourselves, who have experienced shame because of technology. There's all kinds of shame, isn't there? There's the shame of just being the have-nots, but there's the shame of being excluded, being poked fun of, being made self-conscious in front of other people. No matter which group you're a part of, if you're part of the haves or part of the have-nots, for Christians, the comfort and the challenge is the same. To find our comfort in Jesus Christ alone, 
and to set aside are the temporary honor or the temporary shame of our current situation, to allow God to cover that over. God is not taking us to some new future place where uh, those of us who have more progress will get there sooner and some, other, some others of us will get there uh, later because of what we've done or not done. Scripture is clear. This story, that God is drawing people to himself. We shouldn't be pleased because of our good deeds or our accomplishments. We shouldn't be pleased because we should be pleased because of our right relationship with God. And when we have no good deeds, when we have no big accomplishments to show off and little to claim for ourselves, we can remember Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which builds a new bridge. Again, as the video says, from death to life, from earth to heaven, and from shame to honor. The way back to God is for everyone. It doesn't depend on, on what, what social advantage we have or what financial position we find ourselves in. The way to God is for everyone. This is both the scandal of the gospel and the wonder of the gospel. God offers rest to those who are always running after the next and the next and the next. You can find rest. You can take a break. You can also find honor and comfort, not in what you've done or accomplished or will do, but in Jesus. And likewise, Jesus is the way back to God also offers rest to those of us who are excluded, who are left behind, you can have the glory and honor of Jesus, the glory and honor that lasts if you join him. No strings attached. You don't need to perform or to achieve or even to compete. I've used several up-to-date illustrations, or at least I think they're up-to-date. So I want to close with a very much out-of-date illustration. A few words from Oswald Chambers, who was a Scottish preacher in the early 1900s, over 100 years ago. He writes, Our tendency today is to put emphasis on service. And if that was true 100 years ago, I think it's even more true now. But he says, he continues, he says, Beware of people who make their request for help on the, base of, on the basis of someone's usefulness. If you make usefulness the test, then Jesus Christ was the greatest failure who ever lived. Do you agree that in our technological world, usefulness is the test? I think it is. We value and judge all the many things in our lives, in our homes, in our work, based on usefulness. But in our useful, in our world where everything's supposed to be useful, Jesus Christ seems to be a failure. Maybe a good man, maybe with some great ideas, but a failure nonetheless. Perhaps this is why Christians in our modern age and Christians in the West struggle with our faith so often and so deeply. We don't always find Jesus to be useful. But Oswald Chambers continues. He says, For the saint, direction and guidance come from God himself, not some measure of that saint's usefulness. It's the work that God does through us that counts. 
not what we do for him. All that our Lord gives us, excuse me, all that our Lord gives his attention to in a person's life is that person's relationship with God. And our relationship with God is something of great value to our Father. Jesus is bringing many sons to glory. Many sons. And all of us, each of us, men and women, younger and older, all of us are invited to be sons of God. Not sons in a male sense, but sons in Jesus' world who receive the inheritance of their Father. To receive the inheritance of God is to be loved by him, to share in his honor, to share in his life, and to share in the joy of his family and of his kingdom. To be loved by God, we don't need to be useful to him. We only need to be in relationship with him. Last week, some of you may remember that I closed the sermon on rest with a challenge for each of you. That every Sunday in September, do nothing you know to be work. Find a way to rest on Sunday. So if you're going to take me up on that challenge, either this month or even just today, here's something that you can do with the extra time that you have. Take time, an hour, 10 minutes, even a few minutes. Take time to wonder at God's love for you. Take time to reflect and wonder, to stand amazed at God's grace, which would welcome even you, even me, and also those you love. Take time to stand amazed at God's love, which would even welcome those you hate. Jesus' death was not the failure that we imagine our deaths would be. Jesus' death and resurrection was the bridge for all of us back to God. Praise God for his gifts to us in Jesus Christ. Let's come to him in prayer. Father God, we come to you. As we said already this morning, we come to you not through our good names or our great accomplishments, not because we deserve anything from you. We come to you only because Jesus made a way to you through his death. A way for us to approach you, to share in the honor and the life and the love of your family. The honor of being your children and receiving your inheritance. God, we ask this morning that as we have time set aside this Sunday and every Sunday each week to rest, that you would open our hearts to the wonder of knowing you. That you'd speak to us again through your word, the scripture, through my words this morning. And Lord, speak to us in the silence of our own hearts as well as we go about the rest of what you have for us today and also in the week to come. Hear our prayer, Lord, and lead your people, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.